six boys came over the hill half an hour early that afternoon, running hard, their heads down, their forearms working, their breath whistling. They swept by the house and cut across the stubble field to the barn. And then they stood self-consciously before the pony. And then they looked at Jody with eyes in which there was a new admiration and a new respect. Before today, Jody had been a boy, dressed in overalls and a blue shirt, quieter than most, even suspected of being a little cowardly. And now, he was different. Out of a thousand centuries, they drew the ancient admiration of the footman for the horseman. They knew instinctively that a man on a horse is spiritually as well as physically bigger than a man on foot. They knew that Jody had been miraculously lifted out of equality with them and had been placed over them. Gabalin put his head out of the stall and sniffed them. Why don't you ride him? The boys cried. Why don't you braid his tail with ribbons like in the fair? When you going to ride him? Jody's courage was up. He too felt the superiority of the horseman. He's not old enough. Nobody can ride him for a long time. I'm going to train him on the long halter. Billy Buck is going to show me how. Well, can't we even lead him around a little? He isn't even halter broke, Jody said. He wanted to be completely alone when he took the pony out the first time. Come and see the saddle. They were speechless at the red Morocco saddle, completely shocked out of comment. It isn't much use in the brush, Jody explained. It'll look pretty on him, though. Maybe I'll ride bareback when I go into the brush. How are you going to rope a cow without a saddle horn? Maybe I'll get another saddle for every day. My father might want me to help him with the stock. He let them feel the red saddle and showed them the brass chain throat latch on the bridle and the big brass buttons at each temple where the headstall and brow band crossed. The whole thing was too wonderful. They had to go away after a little while, and each boy, in his mind, searched among his possessions for a bribe worthy of offering in return for a ride on the red pony, when the time should come. Jody was glad when they had gone. He took brush and curry comb from the wall, took down the barrier of the box stall, and stepped cautiously in. The pony's eyes glittered, and he edged around into kicking position. But Jody touched him on the shoulder and rubbed his high-arched neck, as he'd always seen Billy Buck do. And he crooned, So, boy, in a deep voice. The pony gradually relaxed his tenseness. Jody curried and brushed until a pile of dead hair lay in the stall and until the pony's coat had taken on a deep red shine. Each time he finished, he thought it might have been done better. 
he braided the mane into a dozen little pigtails and he braided the forelock and then he undid them and brushed the hair out straight again. Jody did not hear his mother enter the barn. She was angry when she came, but when she looked in at the pony and at Jody working over him, she felt a curious pride rise up in her. Have you forgot the wood box? She asked gently. It's not far from dark and there's not a stick of wood in the house. And the chickens aren't fed. Jody quickly put up his tools. I forgot, ma'am. Well, after this, do your chores first and then you won't forget. I expect <laughs> you'll forget lots of things now if I don't keep an eye on you. Can I have carrots from the garden for him, ma'am? She had to think about that. Oh, I guess so, if you only take the big tough ones. Carrots keep the coat good, he said. And again, she felt the curious rush of pride. Jody never waited for the triangle to get him out of bed after the coming of the pony. It became his habit to creep out of bed even before his mother was awake, to slip into his clothes and to go quietly down to the barn to see Gabalin. In the gray, quiet mornings, when the land and the brush and the houses and the trees were silver gray and black, like a photograph negative, he stole towards the barn, past the sleeping stones and the sleeping cypress tree, the turkeys roosting in the tree out of coyote's reach, clicked drowsily. The fields glowed with a gray frost-like light, and in the dew, the tracks of rabbits and field mice stood out sharply. The good dogs came stiffly out of their little houses, hackles up and deep growls in their throats. Then they caught Jody's scent and their stiff tails rose up and waved a greeting. Doubletree Mutt with the big thick tail and Smasher the incipient shepherd then went lazily back to their warm beds. It was a strange time and a mysterious journey to Jody, an extension of a dream. When he first had the pony, he liked to torture himself during the trip by thinking Gabalin would not be in his stall, and worse, would never have been there. And he had other delicious little self-induced pains. He thought how the rats had gnawed ragged holes in the red saddle, and how the mice had nibbled Gabalin's tail until it was stringy and thin. He usually ran the last little bit to the barn. He unlatched the rusty hasp of the barn door and stepped in, no matter how quietly he opened the door, Gabalin was always looking at him over the barrier of the box stall, and Gabalin whinnied softly and stamped his front foot, and his eyes had big sparks of red fire in them, like oak wood embers. Sometimes, if the workhorses were to be used that day, Jody found Billy Buck in the barn, harnessing and currying. Billy stood with him and looked long at Gabalin and told Jody a great many things about horses. He explained 
that they were terribly afraid of their feet, so that one must make a practice of lifting the legs and patting the hoofs and ankles to remove their terror. He told Jody how horses love conversation. He must talk to the pony all the time and tell him the reasons for everything. Billy wasn't sure a horse could understand everything that was said to him, but it was impossible to say how much was understood. A horse never kicked up a fuss if someone he liked explained things to him. Billy could give examples, too. He had known, for instance, a horse nearly dead beat with fatigue to perk up when he was told it was only a little farther to his destination. And he had known a horse paralyzed with fright to come out of it when his rider told him what it was that was frightening him. While he talked in the mornings, Billy Buck cut twenty or thirty straws into neat three-inch lengths and stuck them into his hat band. Then, during the whole day, if he wanted to pick his teeth or merely to chew on something, he had only to reach up for one of them. Jody listened carefully, for he knew, and the whole county, country, knew that Billy Buck was a fine hand with horses. Billy's own horse was a stringy cayuse with a hammerhead, and he nearly always won the first prizes at stock trials. Billy could rope a steer, take a double half hitch about the horn with his riata, and dismount, and his horse would play the steer as an angler plays a fish, keeping a tight rope until the steer was down or beaten. Every morning, after Jody had curried and brushed the pony, he let down the barrier of the stall, and Gabalin thrust past him and raced down the barn and into the corral. Around and around he galloped, and sometimes he jumped forward and landed on stiff legs. He stood quivering, stiff ears forward, eyes rolling, so that the whites showed, pretending to be frightened. At last, he walked, snorting, to the water trough and buried his nose in the water up to the nostrils. Jody was proud then, for he knew that was the way to judge a horse. Poor horses often touched their lips to the water, but a fine-spirited beast put his whole nose and mouth under and only left room to breathe. Then Jody stood and watched the pony and he saw things he had never noticed about any other horse. The sleek, sliding flank muscles and the cords of the buttocks, which flexed like a closing fist, and the shine the sun put on the red coat. Having seen horses all his life, Jody had never looked at them very closely before, but now he noticed the moving ears, which gave expression and even inflection of expression to the face. The pony talked with his ears. You could tell exactly how he felt about everything by the way his ears pointed. Sometimes they were stiff and upright, and sometimes lax and sagging. They went back 
when he was angry or fearful, and forward when he was anxious and curious and pleased. And their exact position indicated which emotion he had. Billy Buck kept his word. In the early fall, the training began. First, there was the halter breaking. And that was the hardest because it was the first thing. Jody held a carrot and coaxed and promised and pulled on the rope. The pony set his feet like a burrow when he felt the strain. But before long he learned, Jody walked all over the ranch, leading him. Gradually, he took to dropping the rope until the pony followed him unled wherever he went. And then came the training on the long halter. That was slower work. Jody stood in the middle of a circle, holding the long halter. He clucked with his tongue, and the pony started to walk in a big circle, held in by the long rope. He clucked again to make the pony trot, and again to make him gallop. Around and around Gabalin went, thundering and enjoying it immensely. And then he called, Whoa! And the pony stopped. It was not long until Gabalin was perfect at it. But in many ways, he was a bad pony. He bit Jody in the pants and stomped on Jody's feet. Now and then his ears went back and he aimed a tremendous kick at the boy. Every time he did one of these bad things, Gavilan settled back and seemed to laugh to himself. Billy Buck worked at the hair rope in the evenings before the fireplace. Jody collected tall hair in a bag, and he sat and watched Billy slowly constructing the rope, twisting a few hairs to make a string and rolling two strings together for a cord and then braiding a number of cords to make the rope. Billy rolled the finished rope on the floor under his foot to make it round and hard. The long halter worked rapidly, approached perfection. Jody's father, watching the pony stop and start and trot and gallop, was a little bothered by it. Oh, he's getting to be almost a trick pony, he complained. I don't like trick ponies. It takes all the dignity out of a horse to make him do tricks. Why, a, a trick horse is kind of like an actor, you know, no dignity, no character of his own. And his father said, I guess you better be getting him used to the saddle pretty soon. Jody rushed for the harness room. For some time, he'd been riding the saddle on a sawhorse. He changed the stirrup length over and over and could never get it just right. Sometimes mounted on the sawhorse in the harness room with collars and hames and tugs hung all about him, Jody rode out beyond the room. He carried his rifle across the pommel. 
He saw the fields go flying by, and he heard the beat of the galloping hoofs. It was a ticklish job, saddling the pony the first time. Gavilan hunched and reared and threw the saddle off before the cinch could be tightened. It had to be replaced again and again until at last the pony let it stay. Mm, and the cinching was difficult too. Day by day, Jody tightened the girth a little more until at last the pony didn't mind the saddle at all. Then there was the bridle. Billy explained how to use a stick of licorice for a bit hmm. until Gablin was used to having something in his mouth. Billy explained, Of course, we could force break into everything, but he wouldn't be as good a horse if we did. He'd always be a little bit afraid, and he wouldn't mind because he wanted to. The first time the pony wore the bridle, he whipped his head about and worked his tongue against the bit until the blood oozed from the corners of his mouth. He tried to rub the headstall off on the manger. His ears pivoted about and his eyes turned red with fear and with general rambunctiousness. Jody rejoiced, for he knew that only a mean-souled horse does not resent training. And Jody trembled when he thought of the time when he would first sit in the saddle. The pony would probably throw him off. There was no disgrace in that. The disgrace would come if he did not get right up and mount again. Sometimes he dreamed that he lay in the dirt and cried and couldn't make himself mount again. The shame of the dream lasted until the middle of the day. Gavilan was growing fast. Although he'd lost the long-legginess of the colt, his mane was getting longer and blacker. Under the constant currying and brushing, his coat lay as smooth and gleaming as orange-red lacquer. Jody oiled the hoofs and kept them carefully trimmed so they would not crack. The hair rope was nearly finished. Jody's father gave him an old pair of spurs and bent in the side bars and cut down the strap and took up the chainlets until they fitted. And then, one day, Carl Tiflin said, Pony's growing faster than I thought. I guess you can ride him by Thanksgiving. Think you can stick on? I don't know, Jody said shyly. Thanksgiving was only three weeks off. He hoped it wouldn't rain. For rain would spot the red saddle. Gabalin knew and liked Jody by now. He nickered when Jody came across the stubble field, and in the pasture he came running when his master whistled for him. There was always a carrot for him, every time. Billy Buck gave him riding instructions over and over. Now, when you get up there, just grab tight with your knees and keep your hands away from the saddle. And if you get thrown, don't let that stop you. No matter how good a man is, there's always some horse can pitch him. You just climb up again before he gets to feeling smart about it. Pretty soon, he won't throw you no more. And pretty soon, he can't throw you no more. That's the way to do it.
I hope it doesn't rain before, Jody said. Why not? Don't want to get thrown in the mud. That was partly it, and also he was afraid that in a flurry of bucking, Gablin might slip and fall on him and break his leg or his hip. He had seen that happen to men before, had seen how they writhed on the ground like squashed bugs, and he was afraid of it. He practiced on the sawhorse how he would hold the reins in his left hand and a hat in his right hand. If he kept his hands thus busy, he couldn't grab the horn if he felt himself going off. Oh, he didn't like to think of what would happen if he did grab the horn. Perhaps his father and Billy Buck would never speak to him again. They'd be so ashamed. The news would get about, and his mother would be ashamed, too. And in the schoolyard, oh, it was too awful to contemplate. He began putting his weight in a stirrup when Gabalin was saddled, but he didn't throw his leg over the pony's back. That was forbidden until Thanksgiving. Every afternoon, he put the red saddle on the pony and cinched it tight. The pony was learning already to fill his stomach out unnaturally large while the cinching was going on and then let it down when the straps were fixed. Sometimes, Jody led him up the brush line and let him drink from the round green tub. And sometimes he led him up through the stubble field to the hilltop from which it was possible to see the white town of Salinas and the geometric fields of the Great Valley and the oak trees clipped by the sheep. Now and then they broke through the brush and came to little cleared circles so hedged in that the world was gone and only the sky and the circle of brush were left from the old life. Gavilin liked these trips and showed it by keeping his head very high and by quivering his nostrils with interest. When the two came back from an expedition, they smelled of the sweet sage they had forced through. Time dragged on toward Thanksgiving, but winter came fast. The clouds swept down and hung all day over the land and brushed the hilltops, and the winds blew shrilly at night. All day, the dry oak leaves drifted down from the trees until they covered the ground, and yet the trees were unchanged. Jody had wished it might not rain before Thanksgiving, but it did. The brown earth turned dark, and the trees glistened. The cut ends of the stubble turned black with mildew, the haystacks grayed from exposure to the damp, and on the roofs, the moss, which had been all summer as gray as lizards, turned a brilliant yellow-green. During the week of rain, Jody kept the pony in the box stall out of the dampness, except for a little time after school when he took him out for exercise and to drink at the water trough in the upper corral. Not once did Gablin get wet. The wet weather continued until little new grass appeared. Jody walked to school dressed in a slicker and short rubber boots. At length one morning, the sun came out brightly. Jody, at his work in the box stall, said to Billy Buck, Maybe I'll leave Gabalin in the corral when I go to school today. Mm, be good for him to be out in the sun, 
Billy assured him. No animal likes to be cooped up too long. Your father and me are going back on the hill to clean the leaves out of the spring. Billy nodded and picked his teeth with one of his little straws. Mm -hmm. If the rain comes, though, Jody suggested. Oh, not likely to rain today. She's rained herself out. Billy pulled up his sleeves and snapped his armbands. If it comes on to rain, why, a, a little rain don't hurt a horse. Well, if it does come on to rain, you put him in, will you, Billy? I'm scared he might get cold, so I couldn't ride him when the time comes. Oh, sure. I'll watch out for him if we get back in time, but it won't rain today. And so Jody, when he went to school, left Gavilan standing out in the corral. Billy Buck wasn't wrong about many things. He couldn't be. But uh, he was wrong about the weather that day. For a little afternoon, the clouds pushed over the hills and the rain began to pour down. Jody heard it start on the schoolhouse roof. He considered holding up one finger for permission to go to the outhouse and, once outside, running for home to put the pony in. Punishment would be prompt, both at school and at home. He gave it up and took ease from Billy's assurance that rain couldn't hurt a horse. When school was finally out, he hurried home through the dark rain. The banks at the sides of the road sprouted little jets of muddy water. The rain slanted down and swirled under a cold and gusty wind. Jody dog-trotted home, slopping through the gravelly mud of the road. From the top of the ridge, he could see Gavilan standing miserably in the corral. The red coat was almost black and streaked with water. He stood head down with his rump to the rain and wind. Jody arrived running and threw open the barn door and led the wet pony in by his forelock. Then he found a gunny sack and rubbed the soaked hair and rubbed the legs and ankles. Gavilan stood patiently, but he trembled in gusts like the wind. When he had dried the pony as well as he could, Jody went up to the house and brought hot water down to the barn and soaked the grain in it. Gavilan was not very hungry. He nibbled at the hot mash, but he was not very much interested in it, and he still shivered now and then. A little steam rose from his damp back. It was almost dark when Billy Buck and Carl Tiflin came home. When the rain started, we put up at Ben Hershey's place, and the rain never let up all afternoon, Carl Tiflin explained. Jody looked reproachfully at Billy Buck, and Billy felt guilty. You said it wouldn't rain, Jody accused him. Billy looked away. Well, it's, it's hard to tell this time of year, he said, but his excuse was lame. He had no right to be fallible, and he knew it. The pony got wet. He got soaked through. Well, did you dry him off? I rubbed him with a sack and I gave him hot grain. Billy nodded in agreement. Do you think he'll take cold, Billy? Oh, little rain never hurt anything, Billy assured him. Jody's father joined the conversation then and lectured the boy a little. A horse, he said, isn't any lapdog kind of thing. Carl Tiflin hated weakness and sickness, 
and he held a violent contempt for helplessness. Jody's mother put a platter of steaks on the table and boiled potatoes and boiled squash, which clouded the room with their steam. They sat down to eat. Carl Tiflin still grumbled about weakness put into animals and men by too much coddling. Billy Buck felt bad about his mistake. Did you blanket him? he asked. No, I couldn't find any blanket. I laid some sacks over his back. We'll go down and cover him up after we eat then. Billy felt better about it then. When Jody's father had gone into the fire and his mother was washing dishes, Billy found and lighted a lantern. He and Jody walked through the mud to the barn. The barn was dark and warm and sweet. The horses still munched their evening hay. You hold the lantern, Billy ordered. And he felt the pony's legs and tested the heat of the flanks. He put his cheek against the pony's gray muzzle. And then he rolled up the eyelids to look at the eyeballs and he lifted the lips to see the gums and he put his fingers inside the ears. He don't seem so chipper, Billy said. I'll give him a rub down. Then Billy found a sack and rubbed the pony's legs violently and he rubbed the chest and the withers. Gavilin was strangely spiritless. He submitted patiently to the rubbing. At last Billy brought an old cotton comforter from the saddle room and threw it over the pony's back and tied it at the neck and chest with string. Ah, he'll be all right in the morning, Billy said. 